Well, good morning, everyone. It's so great to be with you here today. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here at E-Free. I want to say thank you to all of the children's ministry team and to Pastor Kent for all of their hard work to make that little program possible. That was a lot of fun. I hope that if you had a, a son or daughter up here, you were able to like, get the photo that you were wanting. Um, but we are so glad that you could all be with us here today. Welcome to everybody here in the auditorium. Welcome to everybody over in the venue. And welcome to everybody watching online. So glad that you could join us today. Uh, we are starting a brand new series, which is not something we've said in a while because we were in Gospel John for most of the whole year. Um, but we are starting a new series, and this is going to be a brief series, and it's called Draw Near. And this morning, we're going to look at drawing near to hope, and then on Christmas Eve, Pastor Adrian's going to talk about drawing near to peace. So I hope you can join us for that. Well, as we talk about hope this morning, um, I love Christmas time because it's a season of hope. I know that might not be the experience that everybody has. I hope that it is, um, but Christmas for me has always been a season of hope. It started when I was a kid with hoping for presents, um, to be honest, and I would go to the tree, and I would shake the packages, secretly, of course, and then you, you know, see if there's a flap that's open, and you push on it, trying to find out, is there like, anything you can tell about this? You like, hold it up. Is this the same shape as the thing on the shelf? Like, what is this? You, you just want to know. You're like, hoping, am I going to get what I asked for? Hoping that when you open the stuff, that it's going to be there. And that was my hope at Christmas time when I was younger. Now, mostly, my hope is not in presence, it's more in Jesus. That Christmas is a time to remember, for me, Jesus' coming once before, that God made this incredible promise that he was going to send a Savior, and he kept that promise. And then I look towards the future, and it's this opportunity to remember that Jesus is going to come again. And that's what fills me with hope, that I don't know if any other time the entire year I think more about Jesus' return than I do at Christmas time. And so this morning, as we dig into this idea of hope, we are going to be looking at our big idea, which is that Christmas provides an opportunity to draw near to hope by looking back at the promises God has already kept through sending Jesus, which helps us look forward to promises that are still waiting to be fulfilled, which is the return of Jesus. So as we talk about hope, I want to define it because um, that's a big word that a lot of people might mean a lot of different things. And so um, as we talk about hope this morning, I'm going to be using the biblical definition of hope, which is this, a trustful expectation in God to fulfill his future promises based on the faithful fulfillment of God's promises in the past. It's a trustful expectation that's based on something he's already done. He's already kept his promises. And so we are hoping with this trustful expectation that he's going to continue to do that. And his promises that haven't been fulfilled will be fulfilled in the future. So the example of this is I'm hoping in Jesus to return in the future because he's already come to earth once before in the past. Now, I want to define that because we have a common understanding of hope. And this is the common understanding of hope as I think about it. It's a feeling that what I want to happen will happen without being based on any previous experience. It's just, I want this to happen. This is what I'm hoping that the thing that I want will happen. So my example of this is, to this point for Christmas, I have mostly received socks and board games, which are great gifts. I like socks and I like board games. 
But if I was to come to you and say, I hope, I hope that on Christmas I go to my living room and I take my curtains and I do this, and then in front of my house there's a brand new 2022 Ford Mustang. That, that is the, the common understanding of hope. That there is nothing in my past that would say there's even going to be a matchbox car with a little tiny bow sitting on my sidewalk. There's none of that. That my hope, if I'm gonna have the biblical definition is that I'm gonna get more socks and board games. But this is where I think for many people, Christmas has turned into a disappointment. Is that they have turned, we have turned God into a genie that grants wishes. And so we've taken those kind of hopes to him and hope that he would do those kind of things, and then things he's never promised he would do, things he hadn't necessarily done in the past for us, but we hoped. And then when he doesn't grant these wishes, we're disappointed. We're left feeling like, God, what do you do? Like, what good are you? And so I want us to focus not on that kind of hope, because I believe that kind of hope is going to leave us disappointed. When I open my curtains on Christmas morning, if I'm expecting a Mustang to be there, I'm gonna be disappointed. But if instead I hope that the things that have consistently happened in the past happen in the future, I think that there's going to be good reason to believe that those things will occur. So let me pray, and then we'll dig into this. Father God, I thank you so much for my friends here in the auditorium, for my friends in the venue, my friends online. God, I pray that you would fill us with hope. God, not a cheap hope not an empty hope, not a false hope, but God, you would fill us with a lasting, eternal hope that you are a God who makes promises and you are a God who keeps his promises. And God, I pray that this Christmas we would be filled with a different kind of hope than the ones maybe prior that have left us disappointed, left us longing for more. God, I pray that this Christmas we might be filled with a better hope. God, would you please help me this morning to be clear and concise. Pray this all in your son's name, amen. So we are going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 is where we're going to start. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them to Luke. Luke is in the New Testament, so it's towards the back of your Bible. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you get to Matthew, Mark, go to the right, you'll find Luke. If you get to John, Acts, Romans, you're too far to the right, go to the left, and you will find Luke. So Luke 2, verse 1, says this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Luke starts out by giving us this 30,000-foot perspective. He wants us to know that there is a Roman emperor named Augustus, and he wants to know how many people are in his empire. He wants to know, how many people do I rule over? So he says, send them all back to their ancestral homes, their homes that their family lines originated from, their, the towns that their families originated from. So we go into verse four, and we're gonna go from this 30,000 foot perspective down to one family, one couple. Verse four, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. So we get the zoomed-in perspective on Joseph and Mary, and we're told that they have to leave from the region of Galilee in the town of Bethlehem to go to another region of Judea to a town of Bethlehem. 
because that's where David's family originates from. So what you need to know is that it's about 70 to 90 miles from um, Nazareth to Bethlehem, that they are going on foot. Maybe Mary's riding a donkey, but she's very pregnant. This is a long journey for them to have to endure so they can be counted in the census. And then famously, once they get there, there is no room for them in the inn, and so they have to stay in a stable. Now, Bible scholars disagree over whether it's a wooden stable like you see in your nativity sets or whether it was a cave that someone kept animals in that was hollowed out or found in the side of um, a hill. But either way, there isn't space for them in the homes and so they have to say this is the best they can do. And this is where Mary gives birth and they wrap Jesus and they lay him in a manger, a food trough for animals. So why is it that Luke goes so much into Joseph being from the family line of David? He's like, from the line of David, from the house of David, from the town of David. Why is he doing this? Because there's a number of promises that are being fulfilled through Jesus, and Luke wants to make this gigantic arrow that's pointing down to Jesus, saying, look, this is the fulfillment of these promises. So it starts all the way back in Genesis. God comes to a man named Abraham, And he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless all of the families of the earth through your family. That's a big promise to make. How is this possible? Well, Jesus. Jesus comes, he lives this perfect life, he dies on the cross, he's resurrected, and he offers salvation to all the families of the earth. Not just some, but all the families of the earth can have rescue and redemption and life through Jesus. You fast forward to a guy named David, who is the king of Israel. And God comes to him and he says, David, I'm going to put an heir on your throne, one of your great, 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 great grandsons who will rule forever and ever and ever. And this is why Luke is making such a big deal. He's saying the Messiah, the Savior, the fulfillment of all these promises, he is arriving through Joseph. Now, we know that Joseph is not Jesus' biological father, but by adopting Jesus, he is brought into, um, he's brought into David's line that Jesus is um, conceived by the Holy Spirit. So now we go on. Verse 8. We're going to go from Bethlehem to the side, out in the countryside where there is shepherds. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So imagine for a moment that you're in the countryside. It is dark. There might be a fire burning. And all of a sudden, there is a glowing flying object above you. Boom. It's dark, and now it's light. Think about like when someone turns the light on in the middle of the night. You're like, why? Like, turn it off. Like, this is... Probably what the shepherds were like, what is going on? And then there's this flying object. It's an angel talking to you. And what you need to know is outside of Joseph and Mary and Zechariah receiving angel visitors, God's, God's people had not received messages from God for hundreds of years. There had been this period of silence. And so no one has had this experience and they're terrified. Verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. 
This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So this angel arrives and says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born. This Messiah, this rescuer that you people have waited for and waited for and longed for and hoped for and prayed for and said, when God, how much longer do we have to wait? Today, he's here. And this is how you're gonna find him. You're gonna find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger, in a food trough for animals. That's how you're gonna know that this is the baby you've been waiting for. Which means in all of Bethlehem, there's only one baby that lies in a manger. In all of Bethlehem, there's only one baby that had to be placed in a food trough for animals, and it was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Verse 13, suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the, angel, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So one angel was talking to them, and then boom, there's a choir of angels that are saying glory to God in the highest and peace on those who his favor rests. It says, you shepherds, God's peace rests on you. You, people of Israel, God's peace rests on you. You, those who trust and believe in this Savior, God's peace rests on you. And then they disappear into the sky and the shepherds go, we gotta go find this baby. Verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which, they just, which were just as they had been told. So whenever I've thought about this prior to this year, I always think that the shepherds like know exactly where to go when they're like beeline to the, the stable. But my guess is that's probably not actually how it happened. They probably had to go knock on a lot of doors. And they knocked on a door. Hey, is there a baby in a manger here? No, why? Well, there's angels. We were shepherds out in this field and these angels showed up and said there was a baby in a manger and this baby was gonna be the savior, the one we've been waiting for, the one our people have waited for. And the next door, and the next door, and the next door until they knocked on a door. They said, is there a baby in a manger here? Yeah, why do you ask? Well, there's angels. And they went and they found the baby. And then I imagine that they fell down on their knees and they worshiped that this is the savior, the king who has come to rescue and to redeem his people. It says that Mary treasures up these things in her heart and they leave going, everything happened just like the angel said. We found a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And so our first takeaway this morning is that Christmas is an opportunity to draw near to our promised and fulfilled hope. It is a time of year that we can remember that God made promises to us and God fulfilled those promises. That one of the things we celebrate at Christmas is that God made all these promises about sending a Messiah, sending a rescuer, sending a redeemer into the world. That he made promises to Abraham, he made promises to David, he made promises to his people. 
And God fulfilled those promises. He kept his word. And at Christmas, we remember this, and it should fill us with hope. And it should fill us with hope partly because God does what he says he's going to do, and partly because we receive salvation through this baby. That he grows up to become a man who tells us who God is and what God is like. That he leads us in how we should live, but then ultimately he dies in our place. Absorbing the wrath and punishment that we've earned with our life that he exchanges himself for us and gives us his reward when we trust and believe in him. First Peter 1, 3 through 5, Peter talks about this great reward that we receive, that we have great reason to be filled with hope. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. Not a dead hope, not a false hope, a living hope. This hope has a heartbeat through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It says, God kept his promises, and part of that promise is that he was gonna send a rescuer, send a redeemer who has rescued, who has redeemed. And so now when we trust and believe in Jesus, there is this hope for us, this inheritance for us that is being kept for us in heaven, where it can't be stolen, it can't spoil or perish, and one day we're going to receive it. One day we are going to be given this great inheritance. And so at Christmas time, I always have one foot in the past as I sing. So as we sing joy to the world, our king is here, joy to the world, savior has been born, joy to the world. I sing with one foot in the past, remembering that God kept his promise. But I also sing with one foot in the future, thinking about that day when Jesus is going to return. When he returns and we sing joy to the world, our king has come. And that will be a joy unlike any joy we've experienced. When we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, I sing with one foot in the past thinking about Israel waiting for this Messiah, waiting, but also sing with one foot in the future thinking that, yes, we are ransom Israel who mourn in lonely exile here, waiting for the Son of God to appear. So we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, that we long for this day. Revelation 21, three through five says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, the place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And so if you don't know, Revelation is this vision that John gets that Jesus gives him of the future. This moment in time in the future when Jesus returns and he makes everything new. That there is no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. All of it is gone and all that we long for the world to be will be made that way. And everything will be made new. 
And so at Christmas time, it's an opportunity to draw near to our future hope. It's an opportunity to be reminded of this hope that has been promised to us that we yet we are waiting to still receive. That we dwell on the fact that Emmanuel, God with us, is going to come again to us. And it will be unlike the first time. It will be even more magnificent, even more amazing. And for me, I think this is where we can find a lot of hope. Because my guess is there is a number of, of us, if not all of us, that walk away from Christmas with at least a little bit of disappointment, if not a large disappointment. That we all have different reasons why we walk away with this thought in our hearts or our minds that says, this just wasn't quite right. For some of us, it's because um, time with family or extended family can be awkward or stressful or strange or it's just not the way you want it. You want it to be like it is in the Hallmark movies where there's warmth and friendliness and people are just joyful and laughing and they're happy to be there. And you're, and you're not like hoping they're sitting there waiting like, please don't bring up that topic, please don't bring up that topic. And then they did. And like, okay, here we go. Like you're like, I don't want that. Or perhaps... Christmas is going to be hard because someone won't be there this year, whether because they passed away or because they're just sick and can't come or because someone said you, don't, you shouldn't come this year. Or perhaps you're sitting here going, I wish I could go home for Christmas, but I can't. Someone told me I shouldn't come home. And so there's this longing and this ache in your heart that is not the way it should be. Or perhaps it's because of unmet expectations. That you wanted to be able to give really big gifts and you can only give smaller gifts. Or because you wanted a really big gift and you only got a smaller gift. Or because when you gave a gift, you thought they were going to open it and say, no way, no way, no way. And they're going to throw their arms around your neck and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And instead they open it and go, oh, that's, that's nice. Yeah. She's like, come on. But here, here's how our future hope can help us. Because we have these longings in our heart. And I think all of those longings are good longings. There are good longings to have warmth and friendliness with our family. There's good longings to be able to give good gifts, to receive good gifts. There's good longings to have good food around a table. And all those things are ultimately fulfilled when Jesus returns, that Jesus talks about this celebration when his church comes together with him and he has this feast. And on that day, it will be like no other celebration we've ever experienced. On that day, all the longings of our heart are going to be fulfilled. There will be no empty seats at that table. I don't, that does not mean that everybody you know is going to be in heaven, but in some way, shape, or there's not going to be empty seats, and there's not going to be this longing for someone to be there. It's going to be like, yes, and there's going to be warmth, and there's going to be friendliness, and there's going to be this joy that we're together. There's going to be good food on the table, and no one's going to be going, man, is the turkey a little too dry? There's going to be none of that. And when you get there, I think that Jesus is going to say, yes, you're here. Do you know how long I have waited for you to get here? Do you know how long I've waited to have this feast with you? That this is the celebration we long for. 
This is the celebration that our hearts say, it's just not quite right when we're at Christmas because we know that there is a better celebration that's coming. And it's coming. And so put your hope in that day, in that moment, in that celebration. Because I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you that every single person who experiences heaven, that not a single one of them will say, the word that I would use to, expre- to describe heaven is disappointment. Or is, uh, this is all right. Like, you're not gonna have that experience. Like, the Bible says that God does more than we can ask or imagine. So as great as you imagine heaven to be, it is going to be greater than even that. And that is what our hearts long for. And so, at Christmas time, this is what I want for myself. This is what I want for you. There, as a pastor named Tim Keller, and one of the things that he's helped me with more than anything else is that he described, he said, let heaven be heaven and let earth be earth. That if you set your hopes for heaven on heaven and you just let earth be earth, you're gonna find way more satisfaction and joy on earth. But if you ask earth to be heaven, there's gonna always be disappointment. Because even if you have the greatest family gathering, that your family is excellent and there's warmth and there's friendliness and there's not stressful conversations and there's good food and there's good gifts and they hug you when you get the gift and it's everything that you wanted, it still ends. The clock still hits midnight and it goes to December 26th. And then you have to wait another year for that gathering, another year for that moment, another year for all of that. But in heaven, it will never end. Not that it's gonna be Christmas every day, but this celebration will never end. People will never have to go home never have to be separate. It'll be exactly what you long for, and it will be forever and ever and ever. And so let heaven be heaven, and let earth be earth. Which means if you set earthly expectations, and you just go, you know, it's not going to be heaven. When the turkey's a little dry, you're not going to go, oh, I ruined Christmas. Or if they don't shoot up out the floor and throw themselves on you because you gave the best gift ever, you can go, oh, it's, it's okay. You know, I, I wish they would have done more, but it's okay. Or if you can't give the biggest gift, you go, it's okay. That there is coming a gift that they can receive through Jesus that is far greater than any gift I could ever give. And so what I hope for myself is that I would hang my hope not on weak things like gifts and turkey, but instead I would hang it on the promises of God that are steadfast and sure, that he has been faithful in his past to keep the promises and he will be faithful in the future to keep those promises, which means one day for those who trust and believe in Jesus, there is coming a moment when all those longings of your heart will be fulfilled and his presence at this table that has no empty seats, that has delicious food, that has warmth and friendliness, and everybody's happy to see everybody else. And there's no awkward conversations. And it's a celebration after celebration that our God saved us, our God lives with us, and he has wiped away every tear. Which leads us to our final point. Christmas is an opportunity to draw near to Jesus, our living hope. That he's our living hope that he is what we hope in, he is what we trust in, he is where we place our hopes. That if you put your hope in Jesus and not in what's under the tree, not in what you can put under the tree, not in what you can put on the table or who sits around the table, but instead you put it on him, celebration that he's bringing one day, then Christmas is gonna be a little bit better. 
So use this Christmas to draw near to Jesus, your living hope. As you sing these songs, don't just think of him as an infant, think of him as a king who you get to know, who you get to love, who you get to be near to. Let me leave you with this. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's my hope for you this Christmas, that you would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit as he reminds you of who Jesus is, as he reminds you of the good celebration to come that surpasses any celebration we ever have here on earth. All of the best celebrations here on earth are just a shadow of what we're going to experience. And so we put our hope in that moment, in that place. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you. I thank you, I thank you that you offer us hope. You offer us real hope, sure hope. And God, I I pray for my friends who mourn and who grieve that this is the first Christmas without a family member. God, I pray that they would experience your presence in a tangible way. That as they gather around and that seat is empty, God, that they would have the hope of being reunited someday with that person. Have a hope of knowing that someday, God, God, they will experience the fullness of heaven with you. The fullness of your family, of brothers and sisters sitting around a table. God, I, I ask for your help. God, this is something that's difficult. It's hard for us to do. We want things here and now. We want it to be easy here and now. But God, I pray that you would help us to look at the promises you've kept and the promises that you're going to be faithful to keep and to know that someday the longings of our hearts will be satisfied in your presence. God, we pray this all in your son's name.